0: you are listening to a Roddenberry podcast
1: this episode of mission log is brought to you by listeners like you supporters on patreon join us today at patreon.com/missionlog
0: mission log a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast episode 459 persistence of vision.
2: Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Norman
1: Lau. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we take a look at each and every episode of Star Trek, searching for the morals, meanings, and messages contained therein, seeing if they withstand the test of time. This week, Persistence of Vision.
2: The one where Janeway and the Voyager crew are affected by hallucinations of grandeur. And no, not the Henry Rollins book of the
1: same name. I will be back with trivia in a moment, right after Norm tells you how you can reach us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a
2: line at at missionlogatroddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And, please remember, your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. And now,
1: here's John Champion with this week's trivia. All right, we have an episode today written by Jerry Taylor. Now, we we mention how we finally got past the very strange redistribution of episodes that were left over from Season 1, and this isn't one of them, but... The script does come from an idea that Jerry had been kicking around since season one. And honestly, she got a lot of pushback from the powers that be. She was doing something cerebral and they wanted something with action. Does that have a familiar ring to it? So Jerry gets the ultimate credit, but she did have some help from Michael Piller on what was a difficult story to break and get into shape for a final script. It was directed by James L. Conway, and it's nice to see James's name here again. He had worked at DS9 for a number of episodes, he did seven total, but they were pretty much all heavy hitters. Keep in mind, in the production timeline, he had done the 37s during Voyager's first season, though it aired during the second, and then he bounced back over to DS9 for the double length The Way of the Warrior, and now he's back at Voyager for the second of his four episodes here. Hey, uh, far be it from us, we don't want to spoil anything here, but could it be that the hull of projectors on other parts of the ship are going to be a way to get the Doctor out of sickbay for once? It, well, it was the second time it's been mentioned in the show, and of course the writers have been discussing it for a long time since the beginning of Voyager. I guess we'll just have to wait and find out. This episode, by the way, did get an Emmy Award nomination for Outstanding Hairstyling. Up against it, by the way, that year was DS9's Our Man Bashir. Now let's talk about guest stars. We spend some more time with Janeway's holodeck pals. There's Lord Burley, played by Michael Cumstey again. His kids, Beatrice and Henry, are played by Lindsay Hahn and Thomas Decker, respectively. Burley's housekeeper slash nanny slash... Source of Intimidation, is again played by multi-time Trek guest star Carolyn Seymour. This episode is indeed the end of the road for this group, as we won't be visiting this holonovel again. We see an image of Tuvok's wife, Tapel, played here by Marva Hicks. She has a number of high-profile TV credits, like Mad About You and Babylon 5, but her true passion is music. She has worked as a composer and singer. In fact, she sings in the episode of Babylon 5 in which she appears. She has also worked as a backup singer for some major artists like Stevie Wonder, and she was signed to work on Michael Jackson's final tour. We'll see Marva Estepel a couple more times on Voyager. Admiral Paris. Now, it might seem like he's a familiar character since he has been name-checked before, but this is our first look at him. Here he's played by Warren Munson. He's a longtime TV guest actor going back to the mid-60s. You may have seen him on anything from young Indiana Jones to the young and the restless. We have actually seen him once before on Star Trek in the TNG Season 7 episode Interface as Admiral Holt. We'll get one more turn from Warren as Paris, and then there's a change in store. And finally, we have Patrick Kerr as the Botha alien. You may not recognize the face immediately, but Patrick has had some really standout roles in his career. In the short film George Lucas and Love, you can see him as the Yoda-like professor. On the series Frasier, he played Frasier Crane's Star Trek-obsessed co-worker. On Curb Your Enthusiasm's first four seasons, he had a recurring role as Michael, the blind man that Larry kept encountering. And Patrick even appeared alongside Sir Patrick Stewart in the 1995 film Jeffrey. This is his only Star Trek appearance.
0: Sooner or later, every Starfleet crew encounters something that brings their innermost fears to the surface. I'm sure it'll be fine.
1: Prologue. Captain Janeway is working too hard. She's been called to engineering, having her ear talked off by Neelix about some aliens in the space they're about to cross, overseeing a hologram emitter experiment with the EMH, which does not work. Yeah, she's getting a bit stressed out, and even snaps at Tuvok when he requests a meeting. The Doctor, embarrassingly appearing as a shrunken version of himself, gives the order that Janeway needs some time off which she does in the holodeck after passing by the picture of her and Mark in happier times on Earth. The captain enters her novel where she's the governess of Lord Burley's kids, and something is a little different. The Lord himself is way more amorous toward Janeway, a uh, Lucy, and plants a big old kiss on her before we go to the credits. Act 1. Their embrace is interrupted by Lord Burley's kids and their very unapproving nanny. The awkwardness is broken only by the call for tea time, but the little girl, Beatrice, disapproves of the cucumber sandwiches. She does, however, like her late mother's flower-painted teacup. When Janeway, as Lucy, points out that Beatrice is getting quite good at music, it embarrasses the child and she accidentally breaks the cup when she drops it. There's tension all over this holonovel estate, but the answers about what's up with Beatrice and what's on the fourth floor will have to wait because Chicote interrupts the playback and requests that the captain return to the bridge. Neelix is already there. He briefs Janeway on what he's heard from his Mithran friends about crossing into Botha space. Many ships are lost there, and it doesn't seem the Botha even try to negotiate. They're just fierce and combative and don't want anybody in their territory. And now here's a Botha representative on screen, totally obscured by backlighting, stating to Janeway that they aren't welcome here and he's dispatching a ship to rendezvous. They might allow Voyager to pass if they meet the criteria, which, well, he doesn't say what those are. To try to learn more about the Botha, Janeway wants to talk to Neelix, and he invites her for lunch in the Mass Hall. He has laid out a feast, all kinds of alien delicacies, but two things give the captain pause. There's the cucumber sandwiches and the flower motif teacup, exactly like what she saw on the holodeck earlier. She tries to shake it off as coincidence, but that's harder to do when, seconds later, she hears Lord Burley's voice in a corridor and sees Beatrice rounding the corner. She snaps at Janeway, but then disappears before there's a reply. Act 2. Captain Janeway is trying to get to the bottom of what she's just seen. She asks Bellana and Harry Kim if their experiment to get the EMH holo-projected into other parts of the ship could possibly have anything to do with what she's seeing. The answer is no. They bypass the holodeck systems, but they can still test it out just to make sure. Into the holo-novel, Janeway goes again, but that test reveals nothing. She goes back to the mess hall, asking Neelix about those cucumber sandwiches and the flower teacup, and he doesn't know what she's talking about. Time for a medical checkup, and the EMH can find nothing physically wrong with the captain. He says he'll check for external factors, bacteria, a virus, an alien intruder perhaps. Coincidentally, Cass gets a bad spell of the shivers, but it's not so coincidental a moment later when Beatrice shows up to taunt Janeway, but this time, Kess can see the little girl too, even when she moves toward and somehow gets absorbed into Janeway. Nobody has an explanation for it, but maybe it's related to Tuvok doing some mental exercises with Kess that she's able to see this person who isn't there, seemingly reflecting her presence toward the captain. Later in her quarters, Janeway sits down for a snack of some ice cream when she hears the voice of Mark, then the sound of their dog barking. The voice becomes clearer, and Mark says he misses her. Someone else is on her mind now. The door opens, and on the other side is Mrs. Templeton from the Novel, this time wielding a knife and threatening Janeway for ruining everything at Lord Burley's home. The two struggle, the knife slashes Janeway's hand, and when she calls for security, she finds herself still in sickbay, where Kes can again see the holonovel character as it disappears into Janeway. Tuvok is able to talk her down, but she's embarrassed and confused again to find that she has been hallucinating. Act 3. In her agitated, anxious state, Janeway hands over command to Chakotay. She just needs to chill for a while and take care of herself while he and the crew deal with the Botha. Kess tells the captain that, again, she saw the same hallucination, the woman with the knife, just as she did the little girl, and she thinks these aren't just something in Janeway's mind. There may be something going on inside the ship. On the bridge... Chakotay's contact with the Botha representative does not go well when his ship approaches. The alien would rather negotiate with the captain, and now he wants to know how Voyager is armed. Tuvok interrupts the transmission when he detects some anomalous sensor readings and, whoa, cloaked ships off the bow. The Botha has brought unmanned attack ships, and they waste no time firing on Voyager, taking a serious toll on shields and causing several injuries. Janeway can't wait around in sickbay any longer and goes right up to the bridge to confront the Botha, but she sees something else on screen. It's Mark, asking if she recognizes the man she loves. Act 4. Janeway sees Mark. Tom Paris sees his father, Admiral Paris. Tuvok sees his wife, T'Pel. They're all sort of mesmerized by what they see, and it's not just them. From engineering, Bellana reports that most of her crew are in a daze, and it's caused by some kind of energy being emanated by those alien ships. It's operating on a delta wave, psionic properties that are affecting the crew's brains. Well, now we have a reason for those hallucinations. Bellana will work on a way to block those emanations, but that'll take time. By rotating shields, they may buy themselves a little more time for work. Chicote rushes to engineering to help Alana and soon realizes everyone else may be in a catatonic state. He suggests that they may be the only two people on board who are aware of what's going on, and perhaps they should leave in an escape pod. He gets more and more insistent that they should leave with each other, you know, together. Then he kisses her passionately and, well... Cut to Bellana and her imagined Chicote in her quarters, definitely not working on a warp core resonance burst. On the bridge, Paris and Janeway are fighting off their illusions in their own way. With Tom, it should be easy. He wants nothing to do with his father, but he finally succumbs to the distraction. Janeway is on her own and locks out the bridge with her crew just staring blankly into their own delusions. She is again interrupted by the hallucination of Mark, challenging her about staying faithful. It's enough to break her, and that leaves our captain staring blankly into nothing when the turbolift doors open. Act 5. In sickbay, the EMH attempts to contact anyone on board. Nobody replies, leaving the doctor and Kess as the only unaffected crew. They know what they have to do. Kess has to go to engineering and finish what Balana started with the doctor's help over the comms system. On the way, Kess is distracted by an illusion of Tom, badly injured, but once inside engineering, she's able to pick up where Balana left off. The EMH calls up a database of equations to help, but in the meantime, in walks Neelix with a story about how comms are down, and he got assaulted by a hallucinating crew member. Oh, but wait... Kess is skeptical, and rightfully so, especially when Neelix insists that they need to leave Voyager on his shuttle. She calls back to the EMH and focuses again on the work at hand, even with fake Neelix right there taunting her. The illusion gets scarier when Kess feels painful welts all over her body, yet another distraction from the psionic energy penetrating the ship. She focuses, with the doctor's help, on the task, dispatching the illusory Neelix with her mind by reflecting those painful welts back onto him. Neelix falls to the ground, morphing then into an alien of some kind. With the opening before her, Kes is able to get to the engineering console again and activate the warp field. The burst does the trick, freeing the crew from their catatonic states. The alien, now at phaser point, reveals that He only did what he did because he can, and Janeway pushes to determine if his abilities are purely mental or aided by technology of some sort. She intends to stop him in any way she can from doing that kind of thing again. The Botha, one last trick up his sleeve, just says he's not really there, and then disappears from engineering, and the three attacked ships confronting Voyager disappear too. With no easy answers... Janeway has a moment to reflect in the mess hall, eschewing more time in the holodeck to unwind. B'Elanna approaches and wonders if the alien was able to read their minds and present appealing fantasies that way. Janeway says it seems that way, and maybe it's better to look at those uncomfortable feelings in the eye than to keep them inside. Anyway, sweet dreams, the end.
2: Wonderful job with the recap, John. Uh, incredibly dense story, but I felt that you brought a nice lightness and snappiness to your recap.
1: Thank you. I, I feel Jerry's pain. <laughs> I, I know that this story was her baby, and I can only imagine that if you're trying to, to shape this into a script, there is so much you have to get across. I, mean, um, I appreciate it, your there... vision, and it was persistent in the way that you brought it. <laughs> I, I could only do this by being persistent. So thank you for that indeed. <laughs> I gotta I say, you know, at the beginning, Janeway should teach a lesson to all of us. This is why sometimes you have to turn uh, location tracking off on your phone or your comm badge or whatever you're walking around with. Janeway needs a break from being constantly accessible. I get it. Go into do not disturb mode sometimes. I
2: actually yeah. have a more serious point to bring up about that later in discussion. Now we're gonna yeah? start right off with
1: just pin oh, that okay. for later. <laughs> Good, good. I love it. I love it. Nicely done effect uh, with the EMH. Definitely better than the shrinking, morphing EMH we saw back in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: I really like the way that uh, the force perspective was used, like um, either looking from the doctor's perspective or looking at Janeway down at the doctor, you know, with the the distance and the slant of the camera angle. It would have been funny, though, just out of context, walking into engineering at that time. Seeing the Mm, captain, mm -hmm. like, down on the ground talking to the doc, like, what's going on here?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. But the doctor, there's,
2: I know that this is not intended, but sometimes you can't help but hear phrasing. Yeah. So the doctor asks the captain, how long has it been since you've done something pleasurable for yourself? (laughs)
1: That's kind of personal in so many ways. Right. Kind of personal, kind of an awkward turn of phrase there. Like, how long has it been since you've taken a break? You know, maybe that's how
2: you phrase it. How long has it been since you've indulged in a Harlequin romance novel?
1: Yeah, right, mm-hmm. right. Speaking of, Janeway full-on changes in and out of her 19th century governess dress. But, but last week, she wouldn't wait five minutes for Tom Paris and Neelix to get out of their spaghetti-covered outfits. Right. I guess that's just the privileges of command.
2: Well, she didn't yeah. have a postannuity you know, uh, person right. <laughs> yes. on board. So yes. Uh, when Chakotay interrupted her Hall novel, now remember, this is a doctor-prescribed break from her duties— only the doctor yeah. is allowed to do this to the captain. I remember, like, I, the look on her face was kind of like, really? And I remember when I was a kid, my dad was a doctor, and he would have his beeper on him. You know this, right, John?
1: Yes, I remember this so
2: well. Right. Yeah. So yeah. There was the big plan for the family outing, a meal to Pizza Hut, of course, and a movie. And then all of a sudden, the beeper goes off. And you saw the same look you know on yep. your father's my father's face when that happens that's there's a reason why they are allowed breaks and the reason yeah. why they shouldn't always be tethered to like you said in your original point tethered to this this artificial leash of responsibility yeah right yeah exactly um the whole scene where neelix is <laughs> i love how you phrased it you know backlit <laughs> it's true yeah i like how neelix is in this scene talking about who the bothans are oh, sorry bothans are To the captain, this is the Neelix that I want to see. This is the Neelix that's actually doing his job. Like the one that they hired him off of his shipping caretaker to do.
1: Yeah. Hopefully, we got over the hump with Neelix. You know, this was a good return to the form that I want to see, you know. Uh, But I got to say, you know, Neelix is maybe not necessarily on everybody's good side. That look that Tuvok gives when Neelix offers lunch to the captain. (laughs) Oh, my God. Man, Tim Ross can do the most beautiful eye roll, the most beautiful twitch of an eyebrow to just express everything. His eyebrow arch had an eyebrow arch in that scene.
2: Yeah. You know? Yeah. All right, yeah. folks. So here we go. I'm calling John out specifically on the carpet for this. Okay. Timestamp 1045. Okay. We have entered the champion zone with a wonderful shot of Neelix's buffet. Take it away, John.
1: Glad you let me do this because Man, Neelix has got a feast going. Look, I don't even mention the cucumber sandwiches. I mean, th- th- those look like pretty solid cucumber sandwiches. But all right, first of all, the pate. Ah, uh, look, it, this basically looks like brown whipped cream on some packing material. Uh, but you don't put whipped cream on a set, so I'm not sure what that actually is. I might have an idea for you, uh, either, John. You might okay, yeah. okay. What, what what's your take? Was it pureed yeah. nut frosting? Oh, perfect. Okay. Perfect. I think that's where we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the return of the period nut frosting. Yes. The brine soaked nacelle strips. It uh, could be a pickled cabbage something. Looks like a uh, almost like a spicy, like a kimchi kind of pickled cabbage thing, but just in long strips rather than in chunks, you know. Uh, that would definitely hold up on a set. And then the deviled woodthrock, I think. I think we get a visit from our old friend. It's the old sweet potato starch, Koniaku sliced up, well done. Well done, set dressing. When you
2: said deviled yeah. woodthrock, I wanted to throw up my, like, Ronnie James Dio, you know, his,
1: you know, <laughs>
2: <laughs> his horns. <laughs> like, deviled woodthrock, yes. hello, Cleveland. Yes. Right? Oh,
1: oh, I love that. That's a good band name. Anybody gonna have Exactly. Yeah. Yep.
2: So, mm-hmm. the cucumbers, as you mentioned, the cucumbers that yep. were the bedding mm-hmm. for the cucumber sandwiches, the way that they're right, plated. Right, right. Now, when those cucumber sandwiches are, are finished... Do they yeah. take that plate back and then those cucumbers that are actually the bedding become the filling for the
1: next cucumber sandwiches? Yeah, see, that is a weird way to plate that because it's, why, why do you put the filling of the sandwich under the sandwich like that as a garnish? I It's too it's too meta. It's a meta-cuke, right? At that point. Well, yeah. here's a meta-cuke. Yeah. There is another one. <laughs> it reminds me of
2: the era where she saw those cucumber sandwiches first in Burley's estate. It's so very aristocracy esque to do something mm-hmm. like that. Like it's just food. We can waste whatever we want. Let's let's just, let's waste, just waste, it waste food. More. Yes. Yeah.
1: I love it. <laughs> right. Oh, there's a detail that I love here, and we get it every now and then on Star Trek, where you have the holodeck control panel built into the set of the holodeck. How much do you love that, right? I want to say they did it, gosh, back in in one of the Moriarty episodes, maybe even the train uh, as well, when you have the holodeck controls built. I I love it. Like, okay, what happens if a holo character discovers that? you know, as, as like a Moriarty would. And and it, here's the thing, wouldn't it, the computer's being very clever at that point, because the computer could just make it appear the same as you'd call for the arch mm-hmm. or call for the door. Right. But no, the computer's being super clever and putting it behind a panel that then I guess you just have to find <laughs> How do you as, know what door it's behind? As a player? Right? I love it. I love it so much. But at the
2: same time, yeah. though, I'm, I'm completely on board with you on this. Like, two of my favorite, like, aesthetics... Together mm-hmm. are something completely antiquated and something completely modern, like bleeding edge technology. Yes, and I love yes. how that fit in. Interesting that you bring up the whole: what would happen if an actual character inside the holodeck would find that because Janeway forgot to close the door when Burley yeah. came? In. Oh
1: my god, she did. Yeah, yeah. So Burley be like, and, "What and is Burley That
2: is—is is this some type of new fireplace I don't know about?" <laughs>
1: Right, right. Because Burley called her out for the costume, mm-hmm. you know, for a uniform. So absolutely. Yeah. I, I really do, you know, speaking of good Neelix scenes, I really like Neelix's sweetness and sensitivity when Janeway comes back into the mess hall yep. questioning her reality about really nicely played. Yeah, I felt yeah. like the way that they blocked that scene and the way
2: she kind of sidled up to his kind of like the, uh, the bar area, you know, you know, of his kitchen. Mm-hmm. He kind of like yeah. played like kind of bartender, kind of counselor, you know, like kind of confidant, but he was really yeah. just very like you said genuinely sweet and concerned, you know, about her. This is again another note for what I'm liking about Neélix in this episode.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> I love I love the EMH asking Jane Noy, "Was the holodeck re- relaxing?" Like, dude, is it ever? Right. The holodeck is never relaxing. <laughs> it is, even if you choose something that doesn't go nuts and try to kill you, it is still an enormous challenge, whatever is happening inside that holodeck. Right. And I, I do love the EMH saying, uh, my programmers didn't clutter me up with pithy earth trivia. They programmed me with far more important data. That was very cool. Mm-hmm. And, and I gotta hand it to Janeway, cancel the vegetable bouillon. Bring on the coffee ice cream! I am right there with you. Well, oh, she's on. Love it. She's on
2: a doctor prescribed break, right? So yeah,
1: she's got it. She's got
2: to. Okay, so <laughs> exactly. W- what I love about this is that one, she has coffee in her dessert, her ice cream. So yep. that yep. thematically like, tracks. Mm-hmm. But the bowl, like there were like four large scoops of ice cream in that bowl easily. Yes. Yes. So I'm just the witch. <laughs> I'm kind of am kind of curious like yeah. does like the replicator create like the like the right sized portion for the person who's ordering the food? You know, I'm I've never seen anyone say like double. Like I want a double serving of this. You know? Oh, right. Yeah. And then you always have yeah. to add like extra sweet or extra something. So I'm wondering. And yes, we know that there is a series out there where that is taken into consideration. But for Voyager yeah. in this era, yeah. do you ever see that happen? No, I don't believe so. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, another timestamp I wanted to call out 2046, 20 minutes, 46 mm-hmm. seconds makes me ask a question. Do all captains have a Mm -hmm. fondness for antiques, you know, because Mm -hmm. on Janeway's credenza, because swords and antique swords are something of a passion of mine, there's an antique backsword or an antique broadsword. Your mileage may vary on the ID, but on her credenza, because you can see the hilt design. And then when she's standing in the archway of her bedroom, you see a very nice baby grandfather clock next to her. So it's just really wonderful uh, additions, you know, to to the props that are in her in her suite. I love
1: that. I absolutely love that. I do. I dig. I so dig. Tuvo just interrupting the transmission, just unilaterally <laughs> deciding. Yeah, I I interrupted that. I made it look like an accident. Like he's so on top of it, and he's got the skills to do it. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. And you you got to also love Tom Paris. Just keeps calling out evasive patterns. <laughs> like. Just- Go left. Go right. Psych. Right. That's that. That's is just call it something else. Call it something cool. It's a good thing that Kess was on the bridge or she would have fallen into his lap. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. right.
2: Paris one. But uh, Mm. so those those are good points, John. But I wanted to bring up Mm. those two specifically also because it's as if Chakotay doesn't have command of his own bridge Mm -hmm. because Tuvok does something that he didn't even consult with Chakotay, even in like a DM form. Right? It's like, hold on a yeah, second. Right. I'm gonna do something that right. I'm not supposed to do, but I'm gonna do it anyway, because and then Tom's like, you know, Chakotay had evasive pattern, whatever, and then Tom did yeah. the next evasive pattern. What if it was the wrong evasive
1: pattern that Chakotay didn't want? Uh huh. Yep. Right? Good point. So Good point. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I, I do want to know why wasn't Tom hallucinating? You know, the Delaney sisters, or or literally anyone else. <laughs> like, like everybody else has these mostly pleasant delusions until they go wrong. Tom, they just start off like, here's here's the guy you hate. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I really like the shot of the three
2: uh both in ships when they like surround voyager it reminds me of like mm, old mm-hmm. tos framing like in the enterprise incident where yes, they all cloaked around yeah. the enterprise in that very traditional view that pov of us looking at the decloaking ships surrounding the one ship very very traditional yeah, yeah. okay so um that was the time stamp not my last yep <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, fair, fair enough. Fair enough. I, I do want to point out because I left it out of the recap. The, the the problem with an episode like this is there's so many little diversions and reveals, mini reveals, big reveals. But I love the reveal of Chicote in the turbolift after we just saw him in bed with B'Elanna. Mm-hmm. Well, we we saw the the delusion, the hallucination of him in bed. It was a great way to reveal the circumstance without explaining it. Right. You know? that I thought that was very sharp. So, I watched this and I rewound this
2: specific like area of time around the scene, but mm-hmm. when Kes said, you know, she and the doctor were trying to figure out how to do the program, the resonance burst, and then the doctor says, I discussed the matter with Lieutenant Torres. I think I understand the basic principle behind her plan. How hard can it be? Mm-hmm. When? When did he do that? <laughs> no
1: that that was a little bit of like just a a script doctoring Uh, somebody just went in like
2: oh just say that that happened sure (laughs) yeah like i know the audience out there it's like you don't have to see everything but i do yeah sorry yeah yeah (laughs) yeah exactly also because we bring up all these instances where the doctor is becoming even more like omnipresent omniscient on the ship Mm. last episode he said Yes, last episode in Parturition, he said that he has the ability to eavesdrop in certain areas of the ship.
1: Right. So, yeah, he sure did.
2: And now we know that, uh, or we knew that at one point in time, Seska was able to infiltrate the, the, the med bay's consoles in order for her to teleport or transport off the ship. Mm-hmm. So why can't the doctor... As a program that can infiltrate parts of the ship, just reprogram engineering from his terminal.
1: There you go. You'd, yeah, you would think that that's a thing that he could do, right? Or they, or they could, you know, set up an uplink in there or something. You know, uh, you, you got to appreciate T equals C sub one and that long because this is Voyager just leaning into the technobabble so hard. Yeah. So. God, gotta love that and man that uh, the makeup on Cass uh, with the, the welts and the oozing wounds oh my god really well done just disturbing scary stuff I tell you what her scream at that revelation <sharp inhale> that
2: snapped me yeah. out of pretty much everything I was just like wow yeah 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 that that Very really good. got me uh, okay my last time stamp because I was like I was really timestamp heavy this one but because mm. they were they were fun Mm-hmm. When Neelix, you know, when the uh, when Kess's wounds were reflected back to him in that kind of remember the mirror, you know, thing that the <laughs> right, doctor said, yeah. you can actually see foam fly from his wounds onto the floor.
1: Yes, I noticed that. Right. Yeah, good point. I thought that was really nice. Uh,
2: the last bit of dialogue with Janeway and the Bothan, it's kind of scary when you think about yeah. how defenseless Voyager really is out there the Delta Quadrant. Janeway said, why did you do this to us? The Bothans said, because I can. Uh, Some people just like to watch the world burn. That's terrifying.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: But the last big question, John, and I think that all of us really need to ask this question at the end of this Mm -hmm. episode, how many Bothans died trying to bring us the information in this episode?
0: I wonder what kind of vision Dolby had. Probably a giant fist. A giant green fist floating in space. Poor guy.
1: A word of thanks to our sponsors because that's you, the people in our audience who have supported us on Patreon, who continue to support us on Patreon, and continue to be part of the conversation in the Mission Log exclusive Discord. Norman, why don't you give us a quick rundown of all the perks that people can get if they join us on Patreon? Well, the first thing that
2: happens when you go to patreon.com slash mission logs, you get to see all the opportunities that you can support us. And you get to join this incredible community on Discord. And Discord is this wonderful group, this server that we have for Mission Log, which allows people to share their fandom in all sorts of ways with all different types of channels, with all different types of fandoms, ranging from food... Number one, to Hmm. different types of science fiction or fantasy or books or movies, whatever you feel like talking about, we have a channel for you. If we don't, we usually make one. And it's just a safe communal space where everyone can come together and talk about what they love. And with the utmost respect, I think that's the one thing, John, that I love about it is we have so much respect for everyone who is in our group.
1: I agree. And, you know, I I think about our Patreon and I say, Come for the swag, come for the early access to shows, for the you know unedited, unexpurgated shows. Stay for the community. That's really what it's all about. So we love to see people join us and then immediately hop into Discord and uh, say hi to everyone and find that welcoming community. And I do want to welcome some people by name who have joined us very recently on Patreon and then in the Discord: Matt Stewart, Sean, Kale, Scott, Mark, Brandon. Welcome to all of you. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoying those early shows those unedited shows and hope you're enjoying the community that is our discord again if you would like to join us hop over to patreon.com slash mission log all right so question for you norman do you mm-hmm. think that the the Botha, the Bothans, uh is it just that one guy or hard are to there... say right yeah I thought that was one of the most interesting questions that we're left with at the end because we keep assuming that the both uh, are – there are many of them, and Neelix describes them as multiples. Um, And he says uh, they're just odious, pernicious vandals, you know, basically who protect their space. So, you know, I feel like we've met the Kazon who are kind of like that. They have like a gang, and they're aggressors, and it seems like the Delta Quadrant is just crawling with this type. And it did make me think, like, what do you do with an aggressor with whom you can't negotiate because they won't negotiate but this kind of puts a, an interesting spin on it like we we can make all kinds of assumptions that uh, well could go one way or the other you, you could say that the both uh, are many or is just this one being that has these powers those ships like I said that those ships weren't Uh, manned. There were no life signs on those other ships. Were they even there? Were they just, you know, projections, again, coming out of the sky? We're left with so many questions like that, And, and I kept thinking, like, well, what's scarier? And to me, like, thinking about this compared to the Kazon, the Kazon are just sort of, like, Well, like an unruly street gang. And they will be an annoyance, and Voyager can just kind of like fight back and fire back as often as they can. This is a being, maybe singular, maybe multiple, that gets into their heads and creates illusions, which is kind of more terrifying
2: yeah you know, we're entering that type of Star Trek trope, you know where you have the alien being obviously supernatural and very powerful or omniscient mm-hmm. in a way, because what they're, what they or it are capable of doing is being able to attack the the crew. With a weapon that they are defenseless against. And that's like a psychotropic weapon, you know, or mm-hmm. a hallucinogenic weapon. You know, so there's nothing that the human mind can do to defend themselves against that unless you are someone like ACAS or ATUVOC, someone who has a disciplined, teth- you know, telekinetic, not telekinetic, telepathic mind that can at least try and defend against something like that. We're going like all the way back to, say, like Spectre of the Gun. You know, when Spock did the mind meld with, you know, Kirk and Scotty and Bones and to to try and prevent them from believing that they can get killed by firearms.
1: But but how disciplined is Tuvok if he just has a few words from his wife and then boom, Tuvok out? (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, so yeah, you know?
2: Well, that's a, the thing is that stakes always kind of get ramped up like the further along, you know, the Star Trek series you go. You know, if you're going to introduce like, well, we already did that before. And then, well, what if we just kind of make them stronger? So you're entering like yeah, yeah. Q territory. You're entering profits territory. You're kind of like entering. Uh, you don't want to like make these these enemies too strong, but at the same time, they are too strong. Right? You know, there's, yeah. It's really hard to balance them, especially if they're only one-offs, which I'm not sure if these are or not.
1: Yeah, right, 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 right. But what's interesting is seeing an alien who does have that kind of power, who does that uh, have that kind of maliciousness, but using as a weapon, something that you wouldn't think would be a weapon. And the the question that I left for myself here is, is love our biggest vulnerability? Because look what happens. You've got Janeway worried over Mark. And and the distraction that Burley provides. So she's got it kind of from both sides there. You mm-hmm. see Bolana get wrapped up in this fantasy of Chakotay. You have Tuvok and his wife. Again, as strong mentally as Tuvok may be, that's all it took. We know that he misses his family from that wonderful scene that he had in the, uh, in the mess hall, you know, talking to Neelix about family and life and, and what that means to him. Harry mentions Libby, uh, so she's not totally forgotten at this point. And others, we presume, throughout the ship are doing the same thing. I mean, except for poor Tom. He's just haunted by his awful dad. Okay, I get, I get it. I get it. But, <laughs> but but this is one of the most unique ways that an alien has exploited an entire crew and, and almost brought them to their knees. I mean, he almost could have won. What if Kess? what if her mental training had not been as successful as what she'd been through with Tuvok? Well, then you're just left with the EMH. Mm-hmm. Then the EMH has got to figure out a way to, you know, change conditions in engineering, or that both is going to come on board and just shut down the EMH at some point. I like how um, you, you phrased the, that the weapon itself
2: is kind of like using their own like love and using their mm-hmm. own uh, emotions against them. And uh, it reminded me of a line that I mentioned earlier—that one of my favorite lines in the episode "Twisted," where Chakotay said to Neelix about jealousy. He said, "Nothing makes us more vulnerable than when we love someone. We can mm-hmm. be hurt very easily." But I've always believed that what you get when you love someone is greater than what you risk. Yeah. So yeah. I like that that plays into you know this reference of the both in, or both ends, or both of them. Uh, <laughs> I know that was terrible. Everyone can groan. I'd groan. Uh, So, but using that as kind of like the catalyst of being able to have the the crew frozen in fear of like Mm. their own emotions. And I think that's something that we haven't really seen kind of like used in this very particular way. Although being able to kind of bring up those, those very serious emotions in a way where you can kind of like hypnotize the crew. That's kind of like what Cybok was doing, wasn't it? It's kind of yeah, like what oh, he was doing yeah. when he was freeing yeah, everyone, yeah. you know, from their emotional burden and then being able to use that and absorb kind of like the loyalty and the uh,
1: obedience from his followers in doing that in a way. Huge difference, though. Cybok thinks he's doing it for good reasons. True. Both I hear just thinks, well, I'm a pernicious jerk. I can do this just because I can. Well, how do we <laughs> you know? know he's not doing it for good reasons? The reasons to defend yeah, his yeah. space. I mean,
2: the only real description that we know of the Botha is what Neelix said. And Neelix doesn't really know all that much to begin with. You yeah, know, so yeah right, he's, right. It's kind of like, what's your presentation on the Botha? Well, I really don't know anything. Well, they're pernicious. <laughs> you know, like, okay, George Costanza, we all know that you don't know the Penske file,
1: so you're yeah, just making right. things up. Right? Well, but what's interesting <laughs> is that all the information about the Botha could be completely wrong. Mm-hmm. Because again, it sounds like what he's describing from the Mithrin are multiple of them. Like like these, this is a a species out there in this space that so will take them on. We've only met one, which either is a a great. You know budget saving tool for the show or B. if you look at it in universe it could just be this like terrifying thing that this one being has uh has built up around himself you know something that i think is interesting about this episode that i is something that happens sometimes very well in voyager and sometimes gets forgotten in voyager and we're only a season and a half into it but You know, the crew is in this unique position, being far from home, presumably 70 years away from seeing the people that they love again. So when you get moments that the crew actually has to think about and reflect on their personal lives and what this means about their relationships that they left behind, uh, I think these are all meaningful and they, they all ring true for the characters. So I appreciate that at the top of the show we see Janeway just contemplate this picture of Mark before mm-hmm. she goes into the holodeck, even mm-hmm. before you know what the episode is about. There's this thing like, here's the real person that she loves, but look, she's stuck out here in the middle of nowhere. And there, there is this wildly gray area that shows that one set of standards doesn't always apply to all people in all situations. She loves him. She misses him. He's also on the other side of the galaxy. And here she is with the need, the very real need to unwind and feel something other than just the burden of command. I think all of that was written so well and got across so much about her and about the reality of her situation. And then I went back in my head to a discussion that we've had on this show before and many other shows have had in discussions about Star Trek is it cheating if you go too far in a holodeck? I I, I don't know, but I do know that a lot of people in the 24th century are probably doing the same thing. So our modern take on what may or may not be cheating virtual or otherwise probably has long ago gone out the airlock. It is probably a whole other discussion by the time we get to the 24th century
2: morality, trying to like project like human or religious morality. From today to human and religious morality, yeah. four hundred years from now that 's a very difficult conversation to have, I think mm-hmm. because so many things are going to be able to change or have the capacity to change. Just think of like the conversations that we 're having now about inclusion, about you know sexual fluidity, about gender mm-hmm. fluidity, about you know who people are and how people are coming to be, yeah, and then extrapolate that over the course of again like the next you know three hundred something odd years. Yeah, that's that's a reality that's going to be completely different and foreign to what we're talking about now. Yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah. you know, trying to project that into Star Trek of yesteryear, uh, not animated series <laughs> yesteryear, but of <laughs> yesterday, I should say, you know, yeah, nineteen ninety-five, yeah. trying to say like these are what the writers are intending, and they probably weren't as as um, as deft of writing that type of uh, sensitivity then to say now. Think about the sensitivity that they're writing through Star Trek now, yeah. and then think about what they're going to be able to write if this entertainment form, as we know it, exists 300 years from now, yeah. 400 years from now.
1: Well, well, I think what's so cool is that you can take a character like Janeway, who we're, we're all sort of behind, we're all rooting for, and we can feel the reality of her situation. Like The, the way this is handled, it's not melodramatic. It's not scandalous. It's not anything like that. It's just like Wow, we feel for her from the beginning because we can see the stresses of command. And we can feel for her from the beginning because we know how far away she is from Mark, even though we've gotten very little of Mark in the last season and a half. But we we understand kind of the, the playing field that we're on. And then we can also understand the allure of the fantasy. We can understand why she would need to lose herself a bit in this other story, especially because of the circumstance they're in. It's a very deft thing to be able to do with a script like this and make us sort of get her instead of being shocked by her or having judgment about her.
2: Well, I think that a lot of this kind of leans towards something that I found very interesting in this episode, and that's this work-life balance dynamic that is, it's a very real, you know, very... A relatable construct that's in Mm -hmm. most people's lives, you know, when we're deciding whether or not to put in that extra hour of effort for work because we don't really have the balance of being able to separate ourselves from that and to take that hour and enjoy ourselves because somewhere along the line, we've been trained or conditioned in a way to believe that the more that we do the greater the reward well the greater the reward should be the reward of oneself you know the the reward of being able to take time for yourself and be able to spend time with the with either what you want to do or with your loved ones or doing something that allows you to recharge your batteries that's why the doctor is able to do what he did that's why i made a point like say in in parturition where harry was literally about to sit down in -hmm. the mess hall and then he was called away you're off duty yeah. You should be able to eat your meal. It's not like, and you know what? I'm not disparaging the characters. I'm disparaging sure. what what is happening to them. He's not the only operations officer on that ship. He yeah. should be able to sit down for at least half an hour and eat his food and comfort his friend. Same yeah. thing with Janeway. She should be able to do her romance novel and not get interrupted. She wants to be interrupted because she doesn't know how to balance her personal life and her professional life. And that is a problem. That's a real, serious, real world problem. And I think we all relate to that. We always say we're too busy. We don't have time to. We make excuses for. But 10 to 15 to 30 minutes out of the day just for yourself can do an amazing thing.
1: Oh, man, you're hitting close to home. <laughs> You're getting very close to home. I'm going to throw out another uh, idea here that, that we well it may come back to in the wrap up or it might just be a, a thing to ponder because I kept thinking about the approach that the Botha has and uh, what he's doing with them. And it really comes into that last scene where Janeway and Bolana are talking about what just happened to them. And I wonder, because we've talked about this again before, we talked about it in, uh gosh, the naked time, the naked now. These are other examples where it comes up. Does being under the influence of something, uh, a, a drug, a virus, uh, alcohol, uh, a pernicious alien who just wants to mess with the people around him, does it make you out of your mind or does it bring out what's really on your mind? Who's the real Janeway? Who's mm-hmm. the real Balana? Who's, you know, and I think you can go through each of these characters and maybe Balana is the outlier. Maybe Jane, or, and maybe Janeway is a little bit of an outlier, too. You know, may, maybe Lord Burley isn't that much of an appeal. That's a sort of a recent strange thing that happened to her, but her mind's really still on Mark. Obviously, Tuvok, thinking about his wife, wants to be with her. Mm -hmm. Again, poor Tom Paris, (laughs) you know, if this is what's foremost on his mind, poor guy. But like with Ballotta, I thought that was a strange but also really inspired choice to have that go the way it did. I
2: was thinking about those examples that you brought up and maybe let's look at it a different way. Maybe the characters that manifested themselves in front of all the crew are what they feel guiltiest for or who they feel guiltiest for. Oh, uh, okay, right. Because okay. Janeway obviously feels guilt for leaving Mark. Tuvok yeah. feels guilt in such a way, in the way that a Vulcan would feel guilt for leaving his family. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Balana feels guilty for never expressing who, sh- what she truly feels, and Tom feels guilty for disappointing his father because all he hears from Admiral Paris is how much of
1: a failure he is. Oh man, it's the guilt episode. That that the, the botha are are they are guilt vultures. That's what they are.
2: I just had a revelation, John. Okay. Persistence of vision was the first choice, but the second choice for this episode was called guilt trip. (laughs) But you know what I don't feel guilty about, John? You know what trip that doesn't make me feel guilty? (laughs) What's that? Let's take a trip through Neelix's character development in this episode. Mm. I found the Neelix in this episode, the Neelix that I wanted to see... Not necessarily since Jatrell, but the Neelix that was introduced in Caretaker, and we haven't really seen since. We've seen the jealous, pus-hog, yeah. you know, real, viscerally jealous, angry Neelix. But this Neelix is like a
1: totally different written, acted character. Do you agree? I wonder. I wonder if it's two things. I wonder if it's just jerry taylor having such focus on this episode that she was able to kind of write the ship here mm-hmm. or i wonder if it's like okay we've gotten past maybe we've gotten some feedback we've seen where neelix went off the rails so now you have that combination of jerry and michael piller going like oh, okay let let let's do neelix some justice here and by the way i i want to throw out as well that it's not just that Neelix is so good in this when he's Neelix, even in that last scene where it's the hallucination of Neelix, just seeing Ethan play that and play him dark and and aggressive in a different way because you know it's not him, you know it's the voice of the both of there. Right. I thought that was great too. Mm-hmm. I thought that was handled very well. and, and what was really nice was to see Kes. Push back against that because all along I've wanted to see Kess push up push back against the real Neelix. At least I got to see her push back against hallucination Neelix. Maybe that'll seep into her real life too. Well I mean, that's what I wanted to, you know to
2: extend as well this mm-hmm. wonderful redirection for Kess and being able to lean on Jennifer's talents of just being a very good actor. I thought that being able to bring back and reference her accompant telekinetic or telepathic talents was really smart, going all the way back to uh the first few episodes when they were first you know touched on. I just felt like. After parturition, this entire burden of what do we do with these characters has been lifted, and now these characters are actually being very refreshing to watch. Mm -hmm. I guess that's the best way of of putting it. Um, One last thing, though, that I wanted to bring up, and I did make a small mention of it earlier on in our observations, but is Chakotay just a figurehead of a first officer?
1: (laughs) you know I, I I was thinking about that right when you said it the first time and and certainly, I noticed it in the episode, and I wondered well, maybe this this is one of those situations where you have to look at Star Trek Voyager in two realities: the reality of the story and the reality of the production and mm-hmm. The reality of the production is well, Janeway has to be the captain. You know, she has to find the motivation to come back to the bridge and write what's going on, you know, what's failing up there. Okay, but in the story, in the story, yeah, that question remains. Is Chakotay incompetent? Is he just not the – maybe he's competent, but he's just not the person who's cut out for this job at this time. Because, man, I love it when Janeway arrives back on the bridge and she just instantly takes command again. Right, Like, you're not getting that. We're not surrendering. Here's what's happening. I mean, boom. And these were all things that you think that Chakotay could do, and you have to wonder how he was when he was a Maquis. (laughs) You know, but he seems out of his element. Well, let me ask you this.
2: Would Tuvok have done what he did to Chakotay and called the audible and said... I interrupted your transmission because I found something that I need to talk about. Would he have done that to Janeway? Would Tom have mm. have you know executed a, a maneuver that wasn't authorized by Janeway just because he felt
1: it was the right thing to do? Right. I don't think so. Yeah, I I don't think so either. Or they would have they would have either asked or they would have surreptitiously transmitted that information to her before doing it. I there mean,
2: would I, have been a beat. There would have been a beat saying, Captain, I suggest. Yep. Right? Yep. Yep. So it, why isn't Chakotay afforded the same respect when yeah. he said just 30 seconds before any of this happened, I act for the captain when she's not on the bridge?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love that moment with Tuvok. I really do. But I can't see him pulling that with Janeway on the bridge.
0: It's a good thing other bothans didn't show up, offering information on the Death Star, and Janeway would have had to tell them they had the wrong number. Super awkward when it happens.
2: Well, we are at the very end of our show, and as we do here on Mission Log, we take a look at an episode. In this case, we're taking a look at Persistence of Vision, and we take a look to see if, does this episode hold up? Does it withstand the test of time? And then we finally conclude with, did we find any morals or meanings or messages contained therein? So let's start with you, John. How did you feel about this episode? How did you feel? How did your
1: vision quest (laughs) conclude? Was it persistent with persistence with vision? I, I was very persistent in watching this episode multiple times and taking notes on it. And what I can't say on our podcast, but I would say in real life, is that this episode is bat bleep crazy. And and I I happen, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, we can say it. it, Look, it's not you, it's not me, it's the algorithm that would block us. So, yeah, it is bat bleep crazy. And I happen to love this episode's commitment to the total bat bleepery of it all. I mean, uh, sure, it it comes at you like another Holodeck is on the Fritz story. And it was starting to lose me if that's all it was going to be. But no, no, no. There's so much more. I, I appreciated the very idea of a captain who has to maintain control but at the same time is questioning her sanity, her reality. Um it is played extremely well by Kate. just watch that scene in Sickbay again where she first goes to the doctor thinking that there's something wrong with her, you know? Watch the reactions of the people around her. It's all played in a story that is crazy it has played so well and so real with her. The weird little details that seem disjointed earlier, like the teacup and the cucumber sandwiches, they play even better on rewatch. At a certain point, This episode just decides to lean into its own insanity, (laughs) like it's sort of like like the episode is saying, "I'm sorry, were you expecting a rational explanation for all of this uh, with with, you know clearly defined motivations by the antagonist? Because too bad. How about a couple of officers making out instead? We're just we're going to give you that because we can. Star Trek can't pull this off all the time, but every once in a while." especially for a series where we've gotten a lot of episodes that feel maybe just fine and not great. This one stands out and look, you can come at me with criticisms because I'm giving this a Bravo and well done. I think it absolutely holds up. How about you? Thinking about
2: the episodes that we've seen so far and, and one that I think enters kind of like the realm of like this mind, bat-ass, (laughs) Bat ass bleepery ass <laughs> type of you know type of feel and and um and flavor to it was yeah. was projections because you just mm, felt again yeah. that was yeah. going deep, deep deep into the psychoses of a character or characters and then making us feel unsteady as if we don't know like where the next surprise is going to be and the revelation of Kess being the doctor's wife in that and then him yep. coming out of all these different phases of, of the dream state, very much like the way that uh, Janeway was attacked in her quarters. But then all of a sudden it pulls back and she's still in the infirmary being yes. wrestled by Tuvok to try and snap out of her psychosis. So I was like, those yeah. moments, they're brilliant when they land And this one and that one in particular, Janeway's in, the, in Med Bay, that landed perfectly. So, yep, yep. I think maybe for the first time this season, looking at all the episodes that we've covered so far, I think that this is the first one I've really enjoyed, really from beginning to end, Mm. like pretty Mm -hmm. steadily. There were so many uh, elements, uh, elephants. (laughs) Hey,
1: there could be elephants. You know, hey,
2: yeah. (laughs) It's a projection. There were so many (laughs) elements in this episode that worked for me, especially Kate coming back to the center stage of an episode. That's very, you know, that's that's a very important thing. You know, yeah. we can't lose sight of the fact that every once in a while, you know, your lead character, the first female captain, uh, an actor of, uh, of Kate's, uh, her gravitas, just has to kind of re-anchor like where you are In a series and in this case Because that she has The ability to be able to play all these Different depths of of her emotions You know so well and so realistically It draws you into The performance it draws you into The illusion of what this Is you believe Mm -hmm. what she's going Through you believe the pain and the angst and the Desperation and, and the separation anxiety That she has from the life that She left behind to like where she is now With the current stressors of her work I really love that there was again this return to form and she never really misses a beat she's you know uh par yeah. excellence you know uh, yeah. f- uh, you know of that kind of a talent but what i also like about this episode and i mentioned this earlier in discussion is how they've reset neelix and kess so quickly not only like as individual characters but their relationship as well because that's what they didn't focus on. They didn't focus on kind of like the ridiculousness of who they are together as opposed to the strengths of who they are apart and allowed, Ethan, allowed Jennifer to be the characters that they can write for and they wrote for them very well in this episode. So yeah. I like that everyone in this episode that they focused on, they just felt that they brought a very genuine performance Yeah, maybe my cringeometer didn't quite hit one. It's kind of closer to zero, which was good with Neelix. Mm -hmm. Even in, like, when he was kind of, like, being creepy, you know, in the engine room, I knew it wasn't him. It wasn't the, you know, the green eyed puss hog jealous Neelix. It was the both in facsimile of Neelix, which means I can forgive that. I don't have to, like, you know, I don't have to believe that that's the Neelix of old. So there's a lot of things that happened in this episode that I felt righted the ship. Yeah. And got it back on track to where I think we're going to get better development for future
1: stories. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, Now, look, when we talk about morals, meanings, messages, I I, I don't know where we're going to come down here because I I feel like this is an episode for me, at least that there's not really a message in the, in the old parlance of uh, mission log. It's not a bonk, bonk on the head. Uh, Episode That's not a save the whales or don't eat lead paint kind of message, you know, telling you what to do, Um, which is perfectly okay. I think that is perfectly fine for Star Trek just to mess with your mind a little bit from time to time. But I do feel like there is this attempt at the end to give the ideas in the story a little more gravitas, a little more weight than just look how insane we could make this story janeway says to balana we have to look at those difficult sometimes uncomfortable thoughts right in the eye instead of keeping them bottled up and and i agree with her and i'll make sort of an additional observation on that 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 we need to acknowledge our own uncomfortable thoughts and we need to also acknowledge that probably everyone else has them too and when we can do that, we can give ourselves and each other a little slack. You know, we can give each other and ourselves a little bit of a break when it comes to that. I, I think that's perfectly all right. And, and if this episode was trying to get that across, then I'm perfectly okay with that. Uh, Norman, did you find anything else in there of of weight that you need to uh, get across? I mean, well, I brought this up um, in a
2: way you know, during discussion about – Jane way needing to find that balance between work and personal life because mm-hmm. I think that's very important. Now, as someone who, you know, worked for a very long time in the corporate field, I've probably spent 80%, 90% of my time devoted to my work, and maybe about 10% of my time devoted to myself, which isn't a lot. Mm-hmm. And that, was, that happened for a long time, and you know, there are very significant moments in my life that I regret to this day that happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I devoted myself to work, and I missed a very significant, very uh, regrettable part of, of something that was very important to me, uh, and I can't get that time back. Yeah. Um, so basically, this is all a prelude to saying, don't lose sight of your own physical, mental health and happiness for the mm-hmm. sake of your job or your responsibilities, or for someone else's needs. In the end, the only person who is responsible for you is you. Mm. So it's important to have somebody to talk to, to share your feelings with, even if just to remove the burden of keeping all those emotions bottled up inside. I think what I enjoyed most about this episode is that many of Janeway's crew proved to her that they are there for her as she has been for them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many times have we seen Jane like console them when they needed it or have given them guidance? I mean, probably almost every other episode it's something for for Harry, right? Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah, very true. Yeah. But they, the they this, absolutely direct it to her, which is nice. Yeah. Right. And and I think that's the strength you know, yeah. of Voyager, yeah. you know, having that captain that that's you know, oh, having a captain that's as emotionally accessible as Jane just like the very end with mm-hmm. Bellana. So and, and and to you know to bring that point up, there was something in the resolution conversation between Jane and Bellana that, again, I, I brought this up earlier, reminded me a lot of what Cybok was trying to prove when showing uh-huh. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy their respective deepest and darkest secrets and or personal shame, bringing them to light, so that their souls would be unburdened by the
1: mm.
2: you know by un, you know uncovering that secrecy you know or exposing that secrecy. When Jane said to Bolana. But in a way, maybe he did us all a favor. Maybe it's better to look those feelings in the eye than to keep them locked up inside. There is kind of like that very important point being made towards maintaining one's mental health, to be able to discuss these things that burden us to the point of maybe we withdraw from people or from friends or from coworkers or from life. yeah, Because we don't know how to access that. We don't know how to share that. We don't know how to find ways to be able to healthily express You know that burden And to get that off of our chest As the saying goes So it's important that there are outlets for us To be able to relieve ourselves From those thoughts and feelings
1: If only for a little while well said, my friend. Thank you for unburdening those thoughts on all of us. And remember, Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log,
0: Tattoo. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp Eleven, online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Shabel. The both and tormenting Voyager's crew just for the lulz is proof that even internet trolls will continue to evolve into the twenty-fourth century.